It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. Hello, everyone. I'm Mari Forth. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from Aora, Sydney. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where you get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. You can get this podcast along with all the other fantastic reality TV content by subscribing to robhasawebsite.com slash feed. That's robhasawebsite.com slash R-H-A-P-U-P-S feed. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our dedicated feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays. If you've already subscribed, thank you so much. We love you. Mari, what did we watch this week? This week we watched The Greatest Show Never Made on Amazon Prime. It was created by Liam Coots and Emily and Tom Dalton. And we needed a science brain to help us sort out all this unusual mm, goings-ons, mm, these yes. shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> she joined us last year to cover the Janes, which won the Emmy for Best Documentary just last Ooh. month. Ooh. Snaps. The amazing Liana Boris. Liana, welcome back. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. When y'all told me about this documentary, my interest immediately peaked. I could (laughs) not wait to watch it. And I'm even more excited to talk through everything here today. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, uh, Kudos and shout outs to Sarah because she picked it. I can't even pretend to uh, (laughs) take the credit. For uh, this the mystery, one. the mystery. She's tearing aside the mystery, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but I yeah, I will lever this into a crime story if it kills me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we—if you have been listening uh, for any amount of time, you should know we really stretch the bounds of crime on this uh, this year's show. So uh, sit back, because this is this is a stretchy one. This is a reach, uh, Your Honor. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but before we get to the main crime, uh, <laughs> Sarah, you have some true crime news for us. Yes, I do. Uh, Back in May, you may remember we told you that New Mexico prosecutors had decided to drop criminal charges against actor Alec Baldwin in the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of the Western movie Rust. That was in 2021 because evidence showed the firearm used by Baldwin had been modified. Last week, we found out that special prosecutors are seeking to recharge Baldwin, noting that additional facts had come to light that they believe show criminal culpability. So recent gun analysis from experts in ballistics and forensics, your people, shout out, Mari, 
testing, uh, their testing had relied on replacement parts used to reassemble the gun. Follow me here. After parts were broken during earlier testing by the FBI. <laughs> so uh, while the FBI testers were trying to get the gun to fire without the trigger being pulled, as Baldwin has always maintained happened, they hit it with a mallet and it broke. <laughs> so they reassembled it with different parts. <laughs> and then this was the modification relied on by the New Mexico forensics experts. So they declared that the gun had been modified. Uh, yes, by the FBI. <laughs> uh, filming on Russ resumed earlier this year in Montana before the strike. I'm assuming they're not filming now. Under agreement with the cinematographer's widower, Matthew Hutchins, that made him an executive producer. Liana, reactions. Right. <laughs> I can't. I, I mean, so, I, you know, I've known the headlines and I did see that, that they were going to actually follow up with charges. The mallet story, though, this, this is where it really gets me. I love the idea that the top minds are like, I don't know, hit it with a mallet. <laughs> sure. Why not? Well, his story is that he the hammer was pulled back, but he didn't pull the trigger. Right. And so reading between the lines, it's like these testers at the FBI were saying, let's make his story true. Let's see if we can mm. make this gun fire without uh, pulling the trigger. Let's drop it. Let's hit it with a mallet. Whoops. Mari, what's going on? So they basically said, okay, since we hit it with the mallet and it did fire, then that means that technically it could be fired without the trigger being pulled. However, that's dumb. So like I don't like if you had to do all of that for it to fire, he didn't, they couldn't, he didn't yeah. hit it with the mallet. Like, yeah. No. No. No, if he couldn't, if they couldn't jostle, I mean, because right, it's right. not like he hit it with a mallet, right? right. So you want to try to do a trauma yeah. to the gun that's similar to what actually would have happened. So, exactly. Like, yeah. And then you break it. Up. And then you put in replacement parts and then you hand it over to New Mexico and go, oh, here, look, we don't know what to do with this now. And then they say, oh, this gun's been modified before Baldwin got it. No, 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 no. Oh, so it's well, even. Quantico, oh my God, that's so home you're drunk. That's so confusing. Like, I don't know how you're going to make that stick then because it's like, so you don't even have the original gun parts to. Right. Isn't that like this evidence tampering somehow? Like you can't (laughs) use that if you broke it, but replaced it with other pieces that aren't actually the pieces. I don't know. I don't know anything about that, but that sounds wonky to me. No, I'm just saying now I'm going to have to go back and look because Sarah didn't they they didn't charge Alec Baldwin, but didn't they still like charge the prop master or something? Like yeah, that, he's in jail. Person? Right, He's in jail now. Yeah. So. Unfortunately, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if these charges are going to stick, y'all. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, additional facts in inverted commas. We don't know if this is the only thing, but it certainly caught my eye. Yeah. And it, well, it, it's, it seemed not only is it, is it, you know, breaking news, it also seems uh, shenanigans uh, thematically this mm-hmm. episode is going to be very shenanigans heavy. And do you think people are actually going to want to go and see that movie? Like, I'm not a Western girl, period. Point blank. Done. Like, Westerns are not my jam. So, like, are people like, oh, yes, give me some of that rust where somebody died on set? Oh, you think, like, because of the controversy, do you think more people are going to want to see it? Uh, For me, I'm like, less. Like, I don't want to 
be a party to like I don't want to be sitting in the theater the whole time like it was this the part yeah exactly thinking thinking about that in the back of your head yeah Yeah, I'm a true crime person but that's that's not fun like I don't that's like I I couldn't even watch the crow for like like at least a decade until after it, it happened like those those weird um you know that where they do the videos are like oh weird things that happen on set of movies mm. stuff like that does not make me want to go see the movie stuff like that makes me think the movie's cursed and that mm-hmm. I don't want to take that home <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't need the juju yeah <laughs> exactly okay well so to the crime yeah <laughs> air quotes <laughs> in the early two thousands reality TV as we know it was just getting started. An intriguing ad popped up in a London paper calling for characterful, resourceful, and energetic people to apply for a new reality hey, show <laughs> called Project MS2, being made by NRP Nikita Russian Productions. After a grueling audition process and months of waiting, 30 people were selected for the show, which asked them to give up their lives for a year with a chance at a hundred thousand pound prize. In June 2002, with passports in hand, the contestants left their jobs, their homes, in some cases their partners to begin the adventure. They were divided into three teams, each tasked with earning a million pounds in a year, starting with absolutely nothing. But the lack of cameras, the lack of food, the lack of accommodations started ringing alarm bells. While two teams quit immediately, the third tried to pursue the adventure, wondering if the lack of infrastructure was part of the challenge. They shacked up in a North London flat of uh, the cameraman, Tim, who also was a contestant. (laughs) They filmed their diary room confessionals, They sent the two pretty young blonde women on the team out to the markets to get free food, and they tried to communicate with the head of NRP, the mysterious Nikita Russian. But Nick Russian, a young man with an assumed name, was just working in a bookshop, and the show had no money to back it and no commission from a television channel. The team contacted the media and got a response from the TV show London Tonight. When Nick came to the flat needing a place to stay, the contestants kept him virtually hostage until the reporters arrived. The show went to air that night and they got on TV after all. Yeah. However, Nick Russian never faced criminal charges because there was no monetary fraud. 20 years after their dreams were shattered, this three-part docuseries interviews six of that team and Nick Russian himself. So... Again, not a crime per se, but definitely a scam, you know, just a very unsuccessful scam. I I would say, Liana, what are your overall thoughts on the property? Okay. Yes. First of all, as I said, I had never heard of this before. So this was very fascinating to me. It also took a turn when they act. Okay. So this was a three episode series on Amazon prime. I mm-hmm. thought it was very interestingly organized because it wasn't necessarily as linear as I was hoping. They had some pretty corny yeah. reenactments, although it was very, <laughs> Oh, I love them. Yes. <laughs> very colorful. Also, it yeah. definitely felt like it had a very specific tone that the documentary was trying to convey. But in terms of the actual content of the story, 
So, okay. So there is, as, as Mari says, there's this guy who just puts out this ad, manages to get people on this completely fake reality TV show. And what I was the most shocked about is that there were, that that there were no criminal charges because I just kind of expected, like, can't you sue for like loss of wages? Cause some of these Uh people had quit their jobs or had moved out or had, you know, made these life altering decisions based on the fact that the show was a year. Well, what he had said, the show again, air quotes show was one year. So they were mentally preparing like the woman. There was one woman who was a carpet saleswoman and she had put in her notice and had left, you know, thinking that she was going to be a presenter and also contestant. I believe that was her (laughs) on the show. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, that was the biggest shock was that nothing came of this because in my head, when I find out that this guy had essentially completely lied to these 30 people had made them make this life altering decision to then not actually manifest in a show. I didn't understand why nothing ever came of that. He's just like living his life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, your thoughts. Yes. Uh, it, uh, so so the British are very polite and <laughs> the worst thing that can happen to uh, uh, Britain, particularly the English, is to be embarrassed. Ah. So hmm. they are the last people to sue someone in this circumstance, particularly oh. back then. <laughs> uh, American right? of us. <laughs> yeah. That's such the American response of like, uh, why are you threatening litigation? <laughs> That's yes. what we do here. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I I was very intrigued it, just from the sound of it. I thought, yeah, we're going to we'll find a crime here because I want to talk about this. It is intriguing that these 10 people, even after they figured out that it wasn't what they thought it was, what a great team. This I mean, Nick can cast know, a, a show, right? Yeah. <laughs> these people are fantastic and they gelled completely as a team. It was raining. Tim the clown, Skinny mm-hmm. Bean, the clown. Uh, he had found clown, he says, to start with. And I go, oh, Tim, who are you? Mm-hmm. His his flat was just around the corner from where they all had to meet in the rain. So he said, well, just come over and we'll, we'll sort out uh, what we're doing. And they, it took them several days to figure out that this wasn't part of the game because a member of the other team happened mm-hmm. to know someone who worked with Nikita at Waterston's the bookshop and rang them and said, I don't know how they had each other's numbers, but rang them and said, uh, guys, there's no, there's no show. And then they decided to make a go of it. That to me is the intriguing part. Like the story itself of this fake reality show is, is very interesting. But the heart of it is these people, particularly the uh-huh. six that we talk to now, decided to press ahead anyway. With no money, no jobs, uh, they'd given up their leases on flats, they'd given up their jobs, they'd walked away from families, mm-hmm. and they thought, oh, but we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Like, we'll do it anyway. Yeah. It's so strange. And what drove them is very interesting. Mari, what about you? Yeah, it, it is so fascinating. Uh, as three people who are very obsessed with reality TV, <laughs> first off, I thought it was a little bit of shade at the beginning where they're like, back in 2020, uh, in, in 2002, when people were obsessed with reality TV, I was like, oh, oh, back then, not not currently. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was like, shade. Uh, but but t- to see like this 
massive thought of like, yes, I'm going to get a whole bunch of people, 30 people, like in a reality TV show. We know. And that's, thousands that's auditioned. Thousands yes. auditioned. Yeah. Like that really was the height of reality TV. Like I, I truly think so. I mean, it is different now. Like, may, like maybe you could say that was kind of like the height of competition reality TV or like just reality TV in itself has has grown into a whole different monster that like I think even one of the contestants said it or or I think it was um the woman who called herself nosy she said it like back then you know you see this advertisement and it's like okay sure and she's like now everybody's like oh that's a scam like we're a little bit more we are uh, we know a little bit more now because it, this is such a new medium at that time and to have like 30 people dedicated to this but unfortunately they they weren't told what the what they would be doing until they had already abandoned everything you know what i'm saying they he led with oh a hundred thousand dollars a hundred thousand pounds and a year you got to commit for a year for a chance at a hundred thousand pounds and then they get there and he's like surprise you got to make the hundred thousand pounds we don't have it (laughs) and it's just like sir i like the concept was great if if you just had good execution this would have been the the greatest show ever actually made you know this stuff i would watch this at one point they were all just sitting around watching big brother and i was kind of like i'll watch that <laughs> at one point like again maybe i'm just predisposed to reality tv but it it was just one of those things where it's like it was very harebrained it was very like conceited of him to kind of think that he could do this without proper backing and and, and, and very short-sighted. And I'm just like, man, if you had just done the proper channels, if you had run this idea by some studios before, if you had like actually secured some sort of financing, because even like Netflix shows nowadays, like Netflix shows, we know that Love is Blind, the first season of Love is Blind, they created it and produced it before selling the rights to it. You know what I'm saying? But that's the thing. The the people who produced it and created it had the money to actually pay the people, produce it, create it, create accommodations, all of that. And then they sold it. He had this all backwards. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to make the thing. Absolutely no money. Sell it. Like, it just didn't make sense. So he did say he wanted it to run for a week and then he would make a reel and then he would use that reel to sell the idea to a channel. It just, it's, it just does not, it's, it's not baffling. found business. And he has great ideas. Like one of the audition, <laughs> one of the things the auditioners had to do, it's brilliant. They had to make a cake in an hour with starting from nothing. And people were running around and knocking on people's doors and borrowing an egg. I mean, this is amazing race. This is the Apprentice. Mm-hmm. This is all yeah. sort of shows that we see now <laughs> use very much this sort of thing. And I think what you're saying about reality television is there was one show and everybody watched it. Now there's a mm-hmm. hundred reality shows, so the, yes. the, it was much more split. And in those days, everybody was watching Big Brother. Yeah, this should be a TV show. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> I, I, I think you, you're both really touching on a lot of the thoughts that I had, and definitely a lot that I want to get into. But the first thing is just the concept of the TV show itself, right? I kind of love it. I do Obviously, too. <laughs> like the idea. Okay, so the idea was is that you for a year are going as a team. So there were three teams of ten people. That's how mm-hmm. we get the thirty people. The three teams are each going to try to make, I think it was a million pounds. 
Yes. Yes. So they're going to try to essentially make their own prize money, which Mm -hmm. is pretty wild. But I think they were given no food, no shelter, no nothing. Right. And I think that there's a way to do this where it's essentially like hustle culture. Like, how are you yes. going to try to make that money? And oh, my as, God. As Sarah was saying, yeah, it's the what are the skills that you're testing for? And he did that in the audition process. So this guy, Nikita, the big baddie, there was like clearly thought a thought process behind mm-hmm. this. It just was not obviously well executed in a mm-hmm. any type of professional manner, but conceptually. <laughs> The idea behind it, I think, is very cool. It is totally cool. like Amazing Race meets Shark Tank meets like survival. Technically, survival. <laughs> I mean, if he just had camera crews there, you you you're going to get an absolutely brilliant show out of as well this team of ten. Mm-hmm. We we concentrate yeah. on six of them. If if you give them no food, if you give them no shelter, if you have them standing in the rain, but you actually have a camera crew that yeah. follows them, now you have a brilliant show. I think I think if the if bare minimum he would have given them shelter, if he would have just given them a house, mm-hmm. because you know, from all of my island TV show knowledge, you know, you can only go three days without no what three three days without shelter. Three or three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food. So if you gave them a house, if you gave them a house and just the house, be like, this is your house. Now go hustle and get that money. I think that would have been brilliant because and because also you don't want them to have to be whatever money that they're making is then automatically coming out of like, the you know, they have to take portions out of the house because honestly, that's the, the biggest chunk of anything we know that paying for houses paying for rent is basically the largest chunk of any anybody's salary and so if you at least take care of that and then they have to hustle for the food hustle to put money in that bank account i'd watch the hell out of that and just like liana said that's like right now that hustle culture this is an influencer house some influencer house should just do this this like But don't give them Honestly. a house. I am I am all for the concept of giving them absolutely nothing. Because <laughs> look, these 10 people they found shelter within an hour. Mm. You know, the one guy already had the, the, the house. But except <laughs> but he did, but he did already have the house and they were and sleeping was shoulder house. to shoulder. Ugh. It was a small apartment. The uh, the one thing that this also reminded me of, the I don't okay, so it's the Wikipedia article is called One Red Paperclip, but I just remember the concept. So it was this guy who traded a pa- he started with a paperclip oh, yeah. and he traded mm-hmm. up to a house. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember that? Yes, I do. Yes. That yeah, cool. that that was what I thought would happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought mm-hmm. you start by like, what do you have on you? You start trading. You start like trying to make things. I think that conceptually, that would be very interesting to see. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, a year is a huge amount of time. So maybe they do something on a slightly smaller scale. I don't know logistically how exactly <laughs> this would work. But I do think that, again, the concept was a very interesting. I think the guy had a very interesting idea. It was just obviously the execution and the legality maybe behind it all was just not exactly thought through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's kind of like get into some of the contestants because I think that'll definitely uh, push forward a little bit of this uh, conversation. Jane Marshall, she was the the one who was living at home with her parents, 21. She was just like, you know, found a, a job going to the club with her friends and just doing that regular like 
we get we start to see a lot of these people had their regular nine to five kind of boring thing and then um she was so hyped to be a part of this and <laughs> um she she was like i'm gonna get it and then she didn't get it but she ended up being an alternate and i really like jane she was the one who she ended up going back home right and and she she said that she had like trouble adjusting after it but she eventually she eventually became a mother, right? She finally sort of found her calling. She also, to me, felt like one of the main, I mean, maybe just because she was the first contestant that we we met between her and mm-hmm. Tim, those two, sort of the, the clown uh, who we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. But mm-hmm. Jane did feel like someone who maybe had a po- positive, is it weird to say like it was a positive, positive experience for her? Mm-hmm. I Maybe just because she was so young and sort of looking for something. I mean, yeah. this was a very seemingly, tr- the way she spoke about it felt like a transformative experience for her. Yeah, she actually became an actress. She became an actress. Oh, okay. She was the one who became an actress and and that's what she said. She said that it had changed her life for the better. It had, it spurned her to go and pursue acting. She signed up for an extra agency when she got home and she was in a lot of like background uh, of stuff. So like she was, she was one of the people that definitely um, said that it had helped her in a positive way. And she, she's the one that we start to understand the absolute to me, I need never see another reenactment as long as I live. They are so perfect. Ah. They are playing themselves. So she Mm -hmm. now in her early 40s has the wig with the braids. With the braids, yeah. With the braids. uh, Playing herself as a 21-year-old in her bedroom, but it's hyper real, hyper coloured, obviously a set. And I love that whole idea at the whole time of, oh, what's real and what's not. I'm sorry, right to the end, I thought they were back in Tim's flat. Yeah. <laughs> they got me. They yeah. got me uh, until you realize, oh, they've recreated it oh, perfectly. They recreated it. Yep. But she, I, I did like she that. kind of drives, she, she was the enthusiast. And you could, like, we have so much footage, which is brilliant because uh, Tim and John, once they realize it's all a scam, they have decided to call in the the news reporters. They get a bus to the place where they know the editor is and they get back all the footage that that Tim had shot. And so we have all this footage of them trying to do the show, doing their, Mm -hmm. their, as you say, their sort of bedroom confessionals. And Jane is this bright, cheerful, long blonde hair girl who is ready to change her world. And I think because she was so young, she was the least affected, you know, on a scale to the most affected being John, who mm-hmm. is not a well man, unfortunately. Yeah, he, yeah, he was, uh, he was intense. I did feel bad for him. Like you really, like, I do end up feeling bad for a lot of them, even if like they end up bouncing back, because like we said, they gave up a lot. And as, trivial as it might sound but like could you imagine I can't imagine like just getting up today telling my husband my my son like hey I'm gonna go do a reality show for a year um but it's okay because it's gonna be for a hundred thousand dollars you know what I'm saying and and yeah uh dream job I'm hang up I'm, I'm quitting you know what I'm saying like and then you get there and you find out like, oh, this was all a lie. Like, that's the biggest thing. It was it was a lie. And they, they talk about it a little bit at the end. But 
he he no matter how how good intentioned Nikita was he it was a lie he lied to these people and these people had to give up like real world they had real world consequences to it so it's one of those it's one of those things where like John he he did seem like he was like kind of like the most bitter of everybody but honestly I I don't I don't blame him oh no not at all he was the one that that offered to kill uh (laughs) when he gets here I'll kill him yeah he he was he was intense (laughs) yeah Yeah. I I, just okay yeah I mean that's the thing right so obviously this is 2002 Mm -hmm. and I think it's easy to be like oh how could you fall for something like that like how could you fall for that as a scam but I think that this is the early days of reality tv there's no rules there's nothing to expect Mm -hmm. you kind of just have no idea what is real what's not and obviously he's also potentially lying the big baddie Nikita is like potentially lying about the situation and he had some legitimacy at least in terms of hiring like this director person who we got to meet and there were some other camera people at least at one point in time Mm -hmm. Um, because when we talk about the footage from this entire experience you know pretty much all of it comes from this guy Tim who was Mm -hmm. hired specifically to be a camera person for this whole experience. So he was a contestant and a camera person. And so that's where kind of the footage comes from. So aside from him, who was not, you know, part of a production team really at all, that's the only footage that we really get to see, which I think is very interesting because it gives you such a unique perspective from somebody who is like experiencing it, but also trying to capture it all at Mm -hmm. the same time. And the yeah, the group of people that we end up following, I think they all obviously have different takeaways from the experience. Um, yeah. But what what was interesting was that this is the group that tried, right? So you got the three yeah. groups. Two groups were like, yeah, nah, we're not doing this. Give mm-hmm. up and leave, which makes sense. And then this group, like, I don't know. I don't know if it was their passion. They just wanted to try to make it work or they could see the vision or something about it was that they were willing to give it a couple days to just see this experience through. And that's sort of how we get this footage in this story. Because otherwise, I mean, if you think about it, if they didn't try to stick through it, this documentary is, you know, 20 minutes long because everybody is just like, yeah, no, we're not doing this. That's how we get the stories of, of all of these characters. We do have footage from the auditions and the, I mean, if, even if you had the slightest doubt about this ad or this flyer, but you know, that, that was a legitimate way that people got information in 2002, but you arrive uh, at a, at a point, you're sent a map, you arrive at a point, oh, mysterious, wonderful. Mm -hmm. And you have a boat trip over water to an extraordinary pavilion. That's where the auditions are going to be held. And there's something about, taking that boat trip okay you're Mm -hmm. entering his world thousands of people are milling around Mm -hmm. there are cameras because we have footage of this and then you're set out you're you get you get put into groups you're set out on a really exciting like a scavenger hunt to get the ingredients for a, a cake to get someone to let you use their oven I mean 
someone letting someone in in 2023 to use their oven and make a cake? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. But the people that they were knocking on the doors of are also influenced by the sort of the big brother, the reality TV. This all seems very exciting and then you wait to hear and then you're, you're in. There's not really anything along the way that's going to make you think, hold on. Yeah. And I think that carries through to let's call them out to our team because somebody at some point incepted them or thought or all it was groupthink maybe this is part of it. Right. Maybe this is part of it. So let's sort of move forward because we may be the only ones that that do the show. Yeah, it's it's a lot to try and break down why this group was the one to stay. I mean, again, you had already just given up your your everything. You know, so maybe it was a little bit of denial, you know, maybe it's a little bit of like, I don't want to accept that I have just, you know, completely shifted my life for something that's not real. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like that, that type of level of denial can be contagious, but also it seemed like a lot of these people got along as well. Tim being there driving, I I could see Tim kind of being a driving force there. And they had, I mean, they had a stable place you know those other two those other two teams we don't know we know one of them went to a friend's house but tim's place was stable he was a cameraman he was like please come come in you know so there could have there's a a whole lot of other factors but i do want to like talk about how some of this unfolded because in the first in the first episode or two we're getting the story from the contestants point of view and then all of a sudden we do start to see the camera, the camera footage from the audition and stuff like that. I was like, oh, they actually have footage from the audition because mm-hmm. we had already gone through. They had already walked us through it. We had they told us what was happening. They did reenactments for some of it. And then we get the camera footage because we're, we're going back and we're talking to Nikita's former director and then his best friend, people who were with him on the idea before they found found out what was going on and they dropped out but they didn't know that he continued with the um, show. And I thought that was fascinating. And I will give it to this docuseries. They tricked me a little bit because normally when you have a three-part docuseries, you can see the middle one being a boo-hoo, woe is me, this is what happened to the perpetrator type um, thing. You can normally see it coming a mile away. I looked up, I was like, wait a minute. We're at his childhood. (laughs) You know, wait a minute, he's here. What? (laughs) You know, it was, I will give it to them. They did a pretty good job. I I thought this was just going to be a linear story, like I think Liana said, but they actually jumped back. They saved some. They they gave us the other point of view in a way that I didn't think was too exploitive. And this is before we even get to Nikita. What did we think about kind of the timeline pacing here, Liana? Mm. Yeah, the I, I will say I was initially confused because there's this <laughs> the I, I don't know private investigator I don't know what to call her Tanya yes. Hall the woman Tanya Hall uh, yeah Tanya Hall she is the people tracing analyst yes okay <laughs> good let's be she's yes, the one uh, that said nowadays it would be scam 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 yeah mm-hmm. yep 
So we start to hear from her because as Mari said, we're getting the story from the perspective of the contestants. And so I thought that's the only, those are the only people we're going to hear from, right? We're just going to hear from the people who are at, who are there participating as contestants. And then she kept popping up and I was like, (laughs) why are you here? Like you, this is a, there's a reason, like there's a reason why you keep popping up. And as the Sarah, what was her title? Personal something. (laughs) People tracing analyst. People tracing analyst. Yes, of course. Classic. So Tanya, uh, our PTA, she was like, it's hard to find people. We didn't expect it. Blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, I can't remember which episode it was in. Maybe the end of episode two or something where they like Mm -hmm. tease. He's there in the interview. They actually like tracked him down. They, I mean, I, he, I guess, changed his name again. Yeah. He's published a book, but they actually got him for the interview. That was a a twist I didn't see coming because, again, I was yep. expecting, like, he, he just vanished or, like, yeah, disappeared. I did not expect him to, one, still exist, and two, actually have an interview for the documentary. Yeah. I I honestly thought initially that he he did scam them because the setup was they had to make all that money and put it in an account that he had access to. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like if they had any modicum of success, of success, he might've actually taken that money. Um, <laughs> I think they just managed to get some free veggies from the market and that seemed to be the end of their success. Yes. They should have gone back to trying to make cakes because that worked well in the audition well, process. And then they could have had a cake stall. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, when he popped up at the very end of episode two, first thing I thought was, oh, Russell Crowe. I mean, he looks astonished. He would be played by Russell Crowe. Yeah, and he said, "Yeah, I know, right?" (laughs) I'm like, "Yeah, I would look by him. Handsome guy. He was very cute. He was. You could see, and you, and we, we have vision of him twenty years younger, and he was Mm -hmm. very, very pretty. He was a very Mm -hmm. pretty man. He's had several name changes, and he's now called N. Quentin Wolf. Yes, (laughs) that's a name." I yeah. think it's the two O's, right? The wolf is with two yeah, O's. Yeah, double O's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. So he, I guess he like dropped off the face of the planet kind of after this. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he talks about his, we get do get to hear, I think, in episode three a little bit more about his life, um, not just his childhood, but like sort of what had happened afterwards. So he talks about dealing with addiction issues and a drinking, you know, um, a drinking problem as he describes, mm-hmm. but has... I guess I assume gotten sober. I don't remember if he exactly explicitly said that, but he's written a book. He's married. He's got two kids. Uh, so it was very interesting to have that ending for him, which is not where I thought that that was going to go. Uh, when we talk about his life in particular, mm-hmm. his book only has 14 ratings on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And good, good reads. The reviews swing from five stars to one star. So, ah, okay. So yes. To, it's, uh, it's a very strange, uh, reading the synopsis, it's a very strange novel of domestic abuse. It actually sounds rather unpleasant. Yeah. Well, he, that's, I mean, we kind of hear a little bit in his child, like clearly he seems to yeah. have a, a very messed up childhood. And that's yeah. described also by his best friend from Michael. Yes, Michael from childhood, who also sort of described how he the changes that that he went through throughout maturing and eventually end up leaving home at 16 years old. And we don't actually know the details of exactly Mm -hmm. what happened there. Those were never explicitly discussed, but you get enough information to infer that like some 
bad stuff went down uh, to him as a child. And so yeah. clearly this is something that he's had to deal with and has influenced a lot of the behaviors, both in the time of 2002, as well as as an adult writing novels. Yeah, writing. Yeah. yeah. One of the reviewers, one of the praising reviews talks about, oh, it's very unusual to see, you know, that it's a female perpetrator and a male victim. Mm. But mm. others talked about it being basically torture porn. And I don't like to say that at all. Sarah, how do you feel about the de- depiction of Nick, Nikita in Quentin Wolf in the docuseries? And, and what do you think we're supposed to feel about him now it seems like the creators of the film have a neutral eye but they do invite us towards certain thoughts about him Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we hear from the contestants first from the contestants now and from the contestants back then about how they feel about Nikita from the high point of being selected the low point of the rain, their attempt to rise to a high point of maybe this is all part of the show. And when Nikita comes around after a week and begs them for a place to stay because he's homeless, they think, oh, it is a scam and now is the time to kill him. (laughs) I think because we see how affected the adults are, they were adults then as well, Mm -hmm. but we can see the bitterness of John the sort of delusion of Jane. I loved her, mm-hmm. but I'm sorry, there's a little uh, just slightly delusional. Maybe that was selective because I'm watching an, an edited I'm watching a fake thing. I'm watching an edited product as well. Mm-hmm. Some of them wanted to thank him, and those were the that was the vision that he was shown as an adult of them talking about. Yes, it was, in fact, it was a great experience. They didn't as far as we saw, show him John and Daniel's uh, tapes, which were much more negative. I think that we're supposed to see a flawed boy and man, a fantasist certainly, because this is a, how do you in your brain hold this huge undertaking when you you know there's no money and you just think, well, I'll start it and everything will be fine. I think that he tells on himself in his, current day interviews and I think the creators let him tell on himself by holding really long takes on him as he tries to be, you could see him trying to be honest, falling back into the fantasist he once was, kind of remembering that he's sober and is supposed to be truthful, trying to come around and backtrack. And the very interesting thing that I kept thinking was your intentions matter not at all. It does not matter whether your intentions were good or bad. It's your actions and the effect that they have on other people. I think this generally, and I thought it with Nikita as well. Mm-hmm. Liana, help me here. What are we supposed to think Yeah. Of? Well, okay. So first of all, Mari, I think that's a fantastic question because most of the time when I watch documentaries, now to be fair, not a lot of crime, murder stuff, but (laughs) whenever I'm watching, there's usually a perspective, right? And you can kind of tell what the documentary wants you to think when you watch it. 
I have no idea. So sorry, Sarah, I can't really help you, but I think the best way you described it was neutral. And that's kind of how I feel coming away from this. Because at first I was like, I think I'm supposed to hate him. And then they do give such a detailed backstory, not only for him as a child and everything that he went through there, but also what he went through at the same time as the contestants. So I, I can't remember which one of you briefly mentioned this, but the idea that, you know, the contestants are going through this experience and Nikita's also homeless (laughs) at the same time. And so you sort of hear both from his perspective and also through the voices of the contestants, kind of what a terrible position he was in as well. And those types of things, both from childhood and during the experience, lead to me being empathetic to him but at the same time obviously he's completely screwing these people over and messing with them completely so i was like i guess i feel bad for him but also i don't feel bad for him but i also feel bad for the people but also they seem to take away at least some of them had some positive experiences to take away so overall i just didn't know if i was like I, oh my gosh, this is so simplistic, but I'm like, was this a bad or a good thing? <laughs> because I want to easily put in one bin or the other. And yeah. I think what the documentary does such a good job of is it's not that simple. It's not that simple what mm-hmm. we're supposed to take away. You have a person who was like clearly this tortured child who then mm-hmm. tortured others to a certain extent. And it just makes this really complicated mishmash of emotions and feelings. And the documentary just kind of says it like it is. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I think uh, seeing his like the videos of him as a kid, him and his friend Michael as a kid, just making these stupid, silly, funny videos. And it's just like you could see like, again, you could see the potential Yes. Yeah. You you could see where where he was going. You could see his creative mind. Everybody still said he was very intelligent. And it's just like, man, if only you had an action plan, (laughs) like all you needed was a business plan. All you needed was just to hold off a little bit until you had funding, until you Mm -hmm. fleshed out the idea. Like if he if he hadn't jumped the gun, if he hadn't made these people completely like up in their lives then i would totally be like you did nothing wrong you know what i'm saying like but the fact of the matter is again no matter what his intentions were he he did ruin some lives and again these six people some of them it was like hit or miss but what about those those two other teams you know i'm saying 30 people i i i doubt 30 people all had a good experience of completely um, upending their lives for us being after being lied to you know what I'm saying so yeah. I the agree. other thing that people can do is they can go and get an entry-level job in the industry that they want to work in I mean he's a young guy like 24 and you know it is possible to work your way up from the bottom I know you don't want to mm-hmm. but go to channel 10 say is there an internship say who do I know I mean he is you know apparently he seems sort of middle class i'm sure his who do who do his parents know where are the connections that's how things work in england you mm-hmm. get connections through mummy daddy and through the school that you went to or you just you go and you get a job and you learn the craft and then you flower your brilliant ideas all the time doing your side projects like the videos and the writing and everything I'm sorry to sound Mm old-fashioned but you don't get to start at the top necessarily unless you're a nepo baby Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it is, I, I had a great sadness because I thought of, you know, this charming young boy with his friend making these crazy, funny little videos that were very mm-hmm. well thought out and they had mm-hmm. stories and they were funny and they interviewed each other on pretend news shows and they were cracking up. This flowering of creativity, where could it have been channeled? I don't know if it's into this strange book, but listeners, somebody somebody read The Death of the Poet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going yeah. to. Report back. Yeah. Report yeah. back, well, I, I think that's, yes, obviously, Sarah, like you're totally correct in the sense that what he did was completely unacceptable, not the way to get involved. If you're dealing with someone who is has not been through such a traumatic childhood, right? Because he comes out talking about this self, like such strong self-hate and and how everything that he went through, although we don't get a lot of detail, clearly influences the way that he thinks and the way that he treats other people. And so, that's why it makes it so confusing because you, I just wanted to look mm-hmm. at this man and be like, man, that's really effed up what you did. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm mad at you. But then you hear his trauma as a child and then you start to have a little bit more of an understanding. Again, not that it makes what he did okay and not that just because he's justifying it saying, well, that wasn't my intention. Okay, well, that doesn't Mm -hmm. actually mean anything. But because you get that inner working, which really episode three was dedicated to understanding his thought, it totally shifted my perspective on viewing the whole documentary. And that's why I was a little confused. I was like, oh, three part series. okay." But each Mm -hmm. part really did have it felt like a true theme of what that episode was was going for. And that's what made watching this whole thing so interesting, because it wasn't just the same thing for but it's like 40 minutes runtime per episode. So like 120 minutes, right? It's, a, it's not 120 minutes of all telling you the same story. I mean, it is the same story, but approaching it from all of these different angles. And it it, yes. it made learning about everything just that much more interesting because they provided all of that, those different contexts. Yeah, because we had so many perspectives of the same mm-hmm. thing. So you really got to tap into his perspective, the contestant's perspective, the cameraman's perspective, his friend's exactly. perspective. So it really made it uh, really like really come off like you understand what happened. Plus, he got lucky that, again, no money was actually stolen. Nobody actually like died or hurt themselves or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah. it's <laughs> easy to be like, OK, you messed up. Don't do it again. <laughs> right. And it was in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> So, because you know, the United States. I mean, we have have David, the director, and I was really glad to have his Mm. outside perspective. I mean, Nikita's not ashamed of what he did. David, who didn't hurt anybody, is Mm -hmm. still to this day worried that because he was present to start with, that other people thought, oh, there's a director, this makes it a legitimate show. Right. Yeah. And he 20, 20, 20 years, 21 years later, is saying, I I hate to think that because of my presence, other people got hurt. I thought, yeah. David, you're not the one who should be sorry. Yeah, exactly. But he writes so, a he writes a uh, a theme song mary what which was actually really good i was like dang like and it's it, and again it's like if i if everything had went well and executed well this could have been a show that we could be talking about we could be podcasting about right now right you know? <laughs> like if this, if this show had actually been given the proper execution 
this could be covered on the Rob has a, a podcast network. Oh, yeah. So, but I, it just occurs to me now: what if he holds the auditions, he films the auditions, yes, properly, he sends them off to make cakes, make that into a into make a reel. Now real. take that to yeah, and now and all you've done is slightly trick people into an audition. But hey, actors, you, you hear me? How many auditions do you go to that exactly. you never hear? back again but you just make them sign releases that their that their footage can be used you make a, a package you take that to channel four channel four commissions it boom 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 exactly I've, I've been thinking that as well it's just like again just so many what if in small steps that could have made this better all right we're about to move on but uh just before we do any final thoughts before we move into our ratings any final thoughts about the reunion of the contestants most of the contestants hadn't seen each other in 20 years not most basically all of them they they all said that they basically kind of left and just you know dispersed uh liana your thoughts any final thoughts or thoughts on the reunion I, I yeah I, I mean I think we've, we've pretty much covered everything I did really like the the reunion I thought that it was again so interesting to see the people brought together and how they could have different perspectives but to see them all sitting in the living room yeah, spot, yeah. oh you know the the remade Recreated, <laughs> the yeah. living room and and just to experience that one more time I'm I'm really grateful that they were willing to to do that because I can't imagine going through something that's so traumatic and being willing to re-experience that and re-feel those same emotions, especially for one of the contestants, like John in particular, who was one of the contestants who seemed to hold a lot of animosity after going yeah. through this experience to have him go back and revisit it. I was very grateful to, to see his perspective. In terms of just in general, we we touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but there's definitely a funhouse vibe to this documentary. So if mm. anybody's listening who hasn't seen it and might be interested in in taking a view of it, uh, that tone of this kind of very over colorful funhouse aesthetic, mm -hmm. I thought was very interesting in terms of describing what this was, which was sort of this like bizarro <laughs> world reality TV funhouse. And I think that that fit really well. Initially may seem a little bit corny, but overall, again, as I, as I said, sort of fit with the vibe. So I very much enjoyed watching this and I thought I learned, I learned a lot and what an interesting story. Sarah, how about you? Well, reality shows, reunion episodes, I generally skip. Uh, I don't find them interesting because there's either manufactured drama and people screaming or it's sort of boring. I like Where Are They Nows? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we, we had that in most of it. But it was very emotional, these six people, and to walk into a room and say there are five other people in the entire world who went through what I went through and oh, here no. they are in the room with me. Uh, they talked about we got each other's phone numbers but we never spoke again. I think Jane, the 21-year-old, and Daniel, the 24-year-old, did keep in touch for a number of weeks in mm -hmm. London. They went out to some parties, as you would expect, uh, clubs and so on, but they haven't seen each other for all this time. And the electricity between them was just extraordinary to see. Mm -hmm. That's a reunion show I was really, mm -hmm. really happy to see. And that they sort of met in twos and threes first and then a mm -hmm. four and then a five and then a six was was quite something. Mari? Yeah. I agree. I thought it was I thought it was great. I <laughs> 
One of my favorite parts, though, was like um, when Daniel's like, oh, I wonder what Nikita's doing. I, I would I would love to see him. And we know that he's participating in the documentary. And then all of a sudden, John is like, no, I would never see him. It was, I was yeah. almost like, was Nikita in the hallway? And he's coming yeah. in and they're like, <laughs> and they're like <laughs> John, will, John will still kill him. Was yeah. it Daniel? Was it Daniel that suddenly said, "Oh my gosh, oh, I'll be behind this now"? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And I, yep. Did he get me twice? <laughs> did he get me twice? Exactly. So I, I thought, yeah, I, I really did like the reunion portion and stuff. That, and just honestly, that portion of hearing everybody's thoughts and feelings about what happened, Daniel, Daniel was like, he was very much like it. We were adults. We participated. He did what we thought he did. I was like, but uh, I think it was Lucy who was who was like, yeah, but he he lied to us. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you know, we yes, we were we were willing participants. Yes, we were adults, but he completely fabricated stuff. So yeah, she we, gave up a know. really good job. Like, not that yeah, we should rank rank people's jobs, but mm-hmm. her job was very high high powered and extremely successful. Daniel almost made me cry because they asked Daniel in a in a one-on-one interview, are you happy? And he says, can adults be happy mm. or just content? Yes, I'm content. So I think he and John certainly were the most affected, I think, uh, most negatively affected by the, uh, by the experience. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, duh. <laughs> like, of course. I think that that's totally understandable. I mean, it's uh, there's a content creator that I watch, a Twitch streamer and YouTuber called Kit Boga, and he does uh, something called scam baiting, where he calls tech support oh. scams mm-hmm. and pretends to, you know, fall for the scam and just sort of wastes the scammer's time. So the idea mm-hmm. is that if the scammer's talking to him, they're not scamming someone out of their money, mm-hmm. their life savings. And he, through this process, has actually met people who have been scammed and you know, it, it, it sometimes, yeah, they have that reaction of like, they hold themselves accountable for falling for the scam. Exactly. And it's like, I mean, I guess like if you could look at them and be like, how could you be so stupid? How would you mm. know that? And it's like, there's someone literally trying to rob you. It's right. And that's sort of how I feel about the situation. Like, yes, of course you fell for the scam, but the scam should never have happened in the first place. There you you can't <laughs> hold that on yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, let's get into the ratings. Liana, how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate the greatest show never made out of a possible five? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to give this a four. And I'm giving it a four because I did feel confused at certain points (laughs) in time (laughs) in terms of... (laughs) putting the whole story together. Now at the end, it ended up making sense, but I think that the way that the story was communicated because they wanted to sort of intertwine all of these threads ended up being a little bit confusing. And so for that, I'm going to knock down some points, but I think stylistically it was very interesting. And overall I was fascinated by the story. Yes. Perfect. Sarah, how about you? Oh yeah. I'm a four two. I not a four point two, but I also am a four. I, I love the the uh, production design very much. I love that I was fooled into thinking that we had gone to Tim's flat because it's an actual place that still exists. <laughs> I thought he hasn't painted in 21 years. <laughs> I particularly like something we haven't talked about, which is as each of them individually comes in to be interviewed in the 
set. Obviously, they know it's a set, mm-hmm. but they react to it as if it's the flat. And I think mm-hmm. that's not them fooling us. That's them having a visceral reaction. And they say, yes, I slept, I think, there and so-and-so was on the floor there next to me. I loved that very much. Uh, uh, but I think I'm with Liana. I just had, I needed a little, a very slight more of a timeline. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know how long they were in Tim's flat. If you told me three days, I'd say yeah. yes. If you told me a week, I'd say yes. I, I think it seems like For it was sure. maybe a week. Uh, not longer, I don't think. But they, one can be affected, one can be trauma bonded, you know, in mm-hmm. a very short time. So I think I could have, I could have had that uh, cleaned up a little bit. So, I mean, I'm tempted to give it five because I thought it was great. The three episodes go past very smoothly and, and mm-hmm. quickly and they were very judiciously divided into the material that each episode was going to cover. So I think this is a total recommend for me. Run, don't walk to see it and I give it four magnifying glasses. How about you, Murray? Yeah. I, I completely agree. Sorry, audience. It's going to be fours across the board. They want us to fight. They want us I to know. fight. <laughs> I know. I I honestly, you guys said every single point to me. Again, um, I was I always feel a little iffy when documentaries try and be like, okay, the bad person who did the bad thing, they're not such a bad person. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I initially was like, mm, I'm kind of getting the ick here. But like when you stop and think about it again, technically there was no actual crime and the people themselves, some of them aren't that mad. So it's just kind of like, Yes, he definitely, as long as we all agree he did a very bad thing, then fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay. I am glad I know more about him. I am glad that I, I know about his background. I'm glad that I got to hear all of these people's stories, you know? I'm, I'm glad that they were able to repurpose the footage in a way that was very interesting 20-some-odd years later. So I will definitely give it a four, and I would definitely recommend it. It, it was. It was It was very interesting it came out of nowhere i i honestly had no idea about any of this and it was really fun learning about it so uh kudos to the, the whole team who who uh, made the doc let's get into our recommendations liana do you have anything you want to recommend to our listeners honestly no i'm like barely keeping my head above water to be honest this was the fun thing that i got to watch this week i am all over the place trying to keep up with just the reality tv shows we watch so no just uh you know take a bath (laughs) light a candle oh that's your recommendation that's my recommendation (laughs) yes just breathe for a second you are valuable you are worthy (laughs) there you go i love that and same i get it uh sarah what do you have to recommend to our listeners well i went to the cinema i saw the crime is mine mon crime it's written and directed by francois ozon who also wrote and directed, among many other films, Swimming Pool with the absolutely delectable Charlotte Rampling. That's a film that that viewers may or may not know. It's fairly old now. So The Crime is Mine is set in Paris in 1935. Uh, Isabelle Huppert is a part of the cast, a fantastic cast, and it is a French comedy. And there's nothing like a French comedy. It's not like any other comedy. And it is two young women trying to make their way in Paris in this very modern day of 1935. One is an actress. She goes to an audition. 
is it an audition or is there a sofa? And is that man found shot almost immediately afterwards? It's no uh, secret. This is not a spoiler because it happens immediately. She didn't do it, but she says she did. And Mm -hmm. everyone's fortunes rise. Hers, her roommate who is is trying to make it as an advocate, a, a lawyer, uh, the judge who judges them, the investigator who investigates them, the man who uh, was going to pay the shot man a pension for the rest of his life and earn his house at the end when he died. He now is ahead because he's only made one payment and he's got this amazing house in Paris. So it looks at, at media, it looks at women's rights. 1935 women couldn't vote in France. So it's this delicious, it's so funny. I laughed so much. There's some extremely good comedy teeth. Uh, I'm always a bit of a fan of comedy teeth, and I thoroughly recommend it. I don't know where you'll see it in the US, whether it's at the cinema or whether it's going to come on to a specialist television show or whether it will stream, but it's called The Crime Is Mine, and I give it a five out of five. Uh, should I get stars? Yeah. Star- oh, no, it's crime. Magnifying glasses. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mari? What do you have to recommend today? Um, I'm going to do kind of like some future recommendations based on my coverage in the future. Uh, so mini plug section here. Rap Shit, uh, the second season of Rap Shit is officially coming out on Max on November 9th. Um, it is a show that follows two uh, uh, Black female rappers from Miami who are trying to make it big in the rap scene. Season one was amazing. It really felt like it came out of nowhere. Issa Rae uh, produced it. Um, her company produced it. So we will be covering it over on the Connect on Post Show Recaps. Um, Chappelle and I, me, Chappelle, LaTanya, and whoever else are, is around. And um, I'm so excited. It premieres in about three weeks. So um, I'm telling everybody now, catch up on season one if you haven't. It is so good. It is so good. You might be like, I don't know anything about rap. It doesn't matter. Just go and watch it. It's very interesting. Um, so catch up on season one now so you can watch season two and then you can listen to us cover it. And then also coming out in a few weeks lawman bass reeves is coming out on paramount plus that's actually um a a mini series about the legendary lawman bass reeves who is he was one of the uh, greatest frontier heroes and he's one of the first black deputy u.s marshal in u.s marshals in history so they the people behind yellowstone and what is it, 1887 or something? Like, I forget what it's called. But <laughs> those producers are making this. So if you like Westerns, <laughs> go and check out that uh, if, Chappelle. Yeah, if you would watch Rust, yes, exactly. consider this. <laughs> exactly. If you would watch Rust, consider not watching Rust and watching this and instead. Watch this. Yes, exactly. Chappelle will, will be covering at least the first episode of that also on the Connect with uh, Jason Reed. So, um, two future recommendations for our listeners. Here at Crime Scene, we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP. That's Crime S E E N R H A P. Or you can email us by sending emails to Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. We're on TikTok at crime.scene and on Instagram and Facebook at Crime Scene Podcast. And please remember to subscribe to our feed, robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed it makes a big difference 
Liana, what do you have going on and where can the people find you? Yes. So you can find me on Twitter at Liana R H A P. I did. Okay. What did I do this week? So, so far I have done 90 day fiance covering mm-hmm. season 10 of the OG with Puya. That was really fun. I also did mass singer with Puya. It was a Puya heavy days. Uh, <laughs> I love him very much. Uh, we did the mass singer, which was the premiere of group B also very fun and interesting. And then this weekend I'm going to be reco- uh, covering Lego masters. My sister and I are getting back together. We're going to do episodes two, three, and four. And Mike Bloom and I are going to be with Mary to talk about the survivor episode this week. Good, bad warts and all. What have you got going on, Sarah? And where can the people find you? The people can find me if that's what they'd like to do at Sarah Carradine on everything, everywhere. Over on Silent Podcasts, I'm covering the Amazing Race Australia Celebrity Edition with the icon that is Annabelle Fiddler. And on Post Show Recaps, Grace Leader, Brooklyn Z, and I are finishing our coverage of Our Flag Means Death Season 2. Coming up, I'll be covering The Buccaneers with Geneva Guadalupe and A Murder at the End of the World with Latonya Starks. And I'm going to be at the RHAP live events in Los Angeles, Survivor on the 1st of November and Big Brother on the 2nd. If you'd like to get tickets, go to robhasawebsite.com slash events. And if you see me there, please come and say hello. What about you, Murray? Where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's too like the number two. I'll post any podcast I'm doing over there. I'm going to be being on some Big Brother podcasts coming up. So make sure you're following me on Twitter. Uh, of course, every week here with Sarah Carradine on, on Crime Scene Podcast. And like I said, over on The Connect. So you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash connect in order to listen to everything we're covering over there. Sarah, what are we covering next week? Next week on Crime Scene, we're covering Crush with Chantal Francis. Watch it on Paramount Plus and send us your comments and questions. Thanks to Liana Boris for joining us, Will from America for the theme music, and the whole RJP team behind the scenes. Until next time, case closed.